Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. This WBEZ podcast is supported by Hasia whose Executive Fellows Program provides Black and Latinx business owners with real-world tools and strategies needed to master fundamental management concepts related to company stability and growth. Registrants learn through one-on-one executive coaching sessions with subject matter experts in the areas of finance, business development, operations, and legal. More info at haciaworks.org. From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. And I'm Trisha Bobita. Nerdette is a show where we talk to people about their obsessions. People who are scientists and poets, astronauts and adventurers. People who dare to ask big questions and explore the unknown. Our guest this week is a boss. Boss! (laughs) Her name is Eileen Shaken, and she has built much of her life's work on two big questions. Where are all the stories about people like me and my friends? And how can we be more inclusive storytellers? You might not know Eileen Chicken's name, but you probably are familiar with her work. She's probably best known as being the executive producer for Handmaid's Tale on Hulu. You don't know me. I'm not just one of your many toys. She's also the executive producer and showrunner for Empire on Fox. We first saw her at Work It, which is a Lady Podcaster Festival put on by... For the Illuminati of Lady Podcasters. (laughs) First rule of Lady Podcaster Illuminati. Talk about it all the time. Sorry. Carry on. Yes. We saw Eileen at Work It. She did a live interview with Recode Decode's Kara Swisher, and it was one of the most delightful things, Trisha, that you and I have ever seen. We were just sitting in the front row, like, elbowing each other the entire time because it was so great. And, of course, we sat in the front row because nerds. Because nerds. Eileen dropped some really good feminist knowledge, and it is such a pleasure to have her on our show. I'm super duper excited about it because one of the things that I nerd out about most is really good television. And Eileen has been a showrunner on some really good television. Trisha, explain for the people what is a showrunner. It's an awesome creative boss on a TV show. So they're executive producing. Sometimes they're also head writing. Shonda Rhimes is a showrunner. Aaron Sorkin is a showrunner. Dan Harmon is a showrunner. It's a different job depending on who does it, but it means you're the boss, applesauce, is what that means. (laughs) Applesauce is the thing to remember in that description. (laughs) Eileen was also the creator of the beloved sort of cult classic show, The L Word. Yes, this was about a group of lesbians and their friends and family. It ran on Showtime from 2004 to 2009. There were six seasons. It was pretty sexy. It was because it was Showtime. (laughs) Girls in tight dresses. It was inspired by the lives of her and her friends and family living in L.A. Yes, what's really exciting for fans of The L Word is that there is a reboot coming out later this year. Empire on Fox, Handmaid's Tale on Hulu, and The L Word. Eileen Chicken is a boss, and we're going to talk to her about how even the baddest of lady bosses got to start somewhere. Well, it was 1980, which immediately dates me, and... um. My first real job, the one that I put on my resume, was as um, a trainee at Creative Artists Agency. At the time, they didn't take women in the mailroom. And why was that? It was just an, an ingrained sexist culture in which women weren't even 
considered to go into the mailroom training program. And I asked once why that was, and they told me that it was because girls can't carry typewriters. Oh, boy. (laughs) I can carry a typewriter (laughs) to this day. Yeah. I bench press typewriters. (laughs) (laughs) Well, exactly. You worked as a producer on a lot of other people's shows before getting to run your own. So you had a lot of gatekeepers to go through to get your stories told. What was the first time you felt like you got to tell a story of your own? I would have to say that The L Word was the first time that I really got to tell a story of my own. I wrote a few stories that were my stories. And the statement you just made is both true and nuanced because I didn't take the traditional path of most television writers and showrunners. So I worked on other people's projects as an executive. But once I became a writer, I became the showrunner on The L Word. And I had never worked in television before. And usually to be a producer on your own show or on anybody's show, you have to go through this kind of you know guild-like process where you work your way up. So I never really, as a television writer, producer, showrunner, worked on shows that were mine before The L Word, which kind of ruined me for <laughs> telling other people's stories. Can you, can you explain why it ruined you? The, the L Word ruined me in the sense that it was so meaningful to me and meaningful, apparently, to a lot of other people. I've gotten this extraordinary and galvanizing feedback over the years um, from people, mostly women, but not not exclusively women, who've come to me and said, you know, it really meant so much. It helped me. It facilitated the conversation with my family. It helped me to come out. It, it you know, it really made a difference in my life. Mr. Piddles, there's something important I have to tell you. You remember Lara? How she used to come over all the time and stay over sometimes and we'd move around a lot and together. Mr. Piddles, Laura's gay. So am I. You still love me? Oh, you're the best cat in the world, Mr. And it's very rare to get to do a project that affects people in that way. It's a privilege, and it ruined me because it became, you know, the the bar that yeah. I would <laughs> try to clear with too everything. High. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So the L word ended almost ten years ago after six seasons. I wonder what are you going to take from that initial show that you learned when it comes to production of this reboot? Well, the reboot in some ways is mine and always will be. But as you know, it's being written and created by a new and somewhat younger um, lesbian writer. Um, And that was always my intention. And so she's taking, obviously, the spirit of the L word, many of the characters, the world. It's the same world. It's not a recasting or reinvention, but it's 10 years later, and she's going to be telling the stories of a number of new characters whom we haven't yet met. But Bette and Alice and Shane are most definitely still in her story. So that's something we're taking (laughs) from the original. (laughs) Um, and, and, you know, I'm hoping that other um, characters will will also reprise their roles. So what happens on screen for a show like The L Word is, of course, important when it comes to representation. 
But you just mentioned something about the flip side of that. What's happening in the writer's room and the director's chair to also make sure that there's inclusion there. Can we talk a little bit about the difference between seeking diversity and inclusion and how you maybe see those two things as different when you're approaching how to make creative work? Of course. You're talking about the the distinction between diversity and inclusion, the actual words. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they are different. Diversity is a word that's been probably misused um, because you can have diversity in a room of only women or of only African-Americans. Um, people are diverse. People are different from one another. And to... I mean, I think this is a point that Shonda Rhimes makes all the point all the time that, you know, the word diversity is is misleading and it's the wrong word. Um, inclusivity is more is a, probably a more accurate word or inclusion for what we mean to say, which is a writer's room and a conversation among creative people that includes a lot of different worldviews and experiences and cultures and ethnicities and religions and, and everything else that we want to represent in our storytelling. This conversation reminded me of a piece I read recently. It was in the publication Inside Higher Ed uh, by Dafina Lazarus Stewart, and she had a really nice way of putting it that I just want to sort of throw into the conversation, which is diversity asks who's in the room. Equity responds who's trying to get in the room but can't. Inclusion asks, has everyone's idea been heard? And justice responds, whose ideas won't be taken as seriously because they aren't in the majority? And I was just like, wow, that just sort of reshaped my brain on this particular question. These ideas of, of not just, like you said, not just sort of tokenism or um, quotas, but really trying to get different voices and different ideas heard. I love that. Can you send it to me? Because it's so much yeah. better articulated than anything I've, I've ever said. No, that's the thing. Is it was like the most beautiful uh, crystallization of that series of questions we can all ask ourselves every time we go into a room, especially if we're in a position of authority to help drive a conversation or shape an invitation list to any decision making process, as we might say in Hamilton terms, if we're deciding who's in the room where it happens. <laughs> How can we ask ourselves that question, that series of questions? Um, but yeah, so for the reboot of the L word, what are some of those voices and experiences that you hope can be a part of this revitalized sort of next chapter in these stories? Well, what I know, the writer, um, the writer who is writing the new L word, um, she's also the showrunner, is Marja Lewis Ryan. She's incredibly gifted. And what I know she's doing and what I know is important to her, which is also um I mean, obvious and important to me is, frankly, more inclusivity, more inclusion, more diversity, more voices, um, better representations um, in all of the ways that we're discussing. You know, she's she's going to talk about the world as it's changed in these 10 years, the world as it is. And my kind of nascent representation of trans experience, um, my flawed and not quite enough representation of different cultures. Um, all of that, I think, will be more well-realized and fully realized in the new L word. Was the creation of that show really driven by the question, where are TV shows about people like me? 
subliminally, it was driven by that question. I wasn't asking myself, where are TV shows about people like me so much as I was saying, I'm surrounded by really interesting people, interesting women, frankly, although I never thought that I was that interesting. I thought I was leading an interesting life. And I thought not this life isn't being represented, but rather these are great stories. Mm. They're just they're great stories. They're wild stories. They're entertaining stories. People are going to like these stories. I was naive. I thought, you know, this is so cool because I've got an idea to tell some stories about real people and nobody's telling it. And of course, you know, the initial response was, you, you've got to be kidding. <laughs> Nobody wants to see that. Nobody's going to, you know, nobody's going to put that on the air. But ultimately, it was knowing that there was a real story to tell about a group of women I knew, and it hadn't been told. And that we'd all be better off for knowing it, too, right? I, I learned that over time. And that's it's one of the ways in which the world has changed so much because now we're doing it and Marja comes at it and others come at it and say, we've got to do this. It's really important. It means so much to so many people. I didn't dare say that when I first pitched the L word. All I said was, this is people are going to love this. People are going to come and watch these stories because they're shocking, they're intriguing, they're enlightening, not because it's going to make the world better for us, although I'm sure I knew intrinsically that it would. Yeah, it's that shift of, as creators, not being afraid to tell people just what we want to make, but also why we want to make it. Exactly. But, you know, frankly, when I sold the L word, ultimately, when I finally sold it in the room, I was pitching to a straight male executive. And I'm pretty sure that the thing that sold it was that I told him a story about what we do with our dildos. <laughs> Eileen Chaikin is so good at thinking about who's in the room when decisions get made, when we make art, when we make any kind of creative work. And if you want to learn more about how to get to be in the room where it happens, <laughs> we're going to ask Eileen about that in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Eileen, you are a boss. As I mentioned, you're a showrunner for Empire. You were an executive producer on Handmaid's Tale. Did you set out to be a boss? No. Um, I didn't set out to be a boss. I wasn't raised or reared to be a boss. <laughs> and I kind of don't know how it happened. I set out to be a filmmaker, to be an artist, really. I went to art school. But somewhere along the way, I acquired these executive skills. And I seem to be a boss in some way or another. 
You are. You are although indeed. I, yeah, you're I don't like the word. I don't like the word that much, although, I mean, mm. I like it as in, oh, she's a boss. That's, you know, she's badass. She's a boss. But I, yeah, man. I, I, don't, I don't like the kind of hierarchical aspect mm. of it. I mean, I had a shrink who said to me, power has no place in relationships. I think power has more of a place in relationships and sex and love than it does in creativity. Hmm. How much of being good at running a business, running a show, do you think is about listening to others versus listening to your gut? I don't think that those two things are distinct from one another. I think that they're both essential. And listening to my gut is what tells me to listen to others. Is that true for making the art, too? Well, it's certainly true for making television. I believe that there's some art that gets made by individuals, and there are some individuals who are very pure as artists, as storytellers, and they just have to make their art. And I don't know whether that makes them better artists or purer artists, ultimately, than those of us who collaborate. But what I do is make television. And even filmmaking is very collaborative, you know, movies versus television. I don't think they're all that different. And you have to be able to collaborate, which means that you have to be able to listen to other people and gather the best ideas and make the choices from among all of the input you're getting. So you mentioned getting executive skills over time. What did that look like? Was it a matter of seeing what other people were doing and knowing that was not how you wanted to run things? Was it something that came naturally to you? It did come naturally to me. What I, when I mean specifically when I talk about getting executive skills over time, is that, you know, I came out to Hollywood and got that job at Creative Artists and spent the first 10 years of my career being an executive. I wanted to write. I wanted to make films, but I was terrified. I needed to make a living. And I went from CAA to a development job to a slightly bigger development job to a uh, um, you know, VP at a TV company job. So I was an executive and I learned executive skills being an executive. I worked with writers. I worked with people that were doing what I wanted to do, but I was an executive. I learned how to manage other executives. I had, you know, I, I had subordinates and I learned executive skills by being an executive. And then when I became a writer, even as a screenwriter, I understood the way the business worked. And I understood, I think, better than a lot of baby writers, how to talk to the executives. And then when I became a TV showrunner, I had a bunch of skills that a lot of TV writers don't initially have that had to do with knowing how to organize a room, how to delegate, how to work with other people. That's funny. It's like you snuck in the side door at the movie theater or something. I think that's exactly what it is. <laughs> that's such an interesting way to wear the two hats. I think a lot of folks, yeah, if, you, if you're seen as this sort of raw talent early on in your career as a writer, uh, you know, we've heard other people be pretty frank about how difficult this process has been for them to go from the person with the creative idea to the runner of the show. You know, Dan Harmon has been pretty frank about how he wasn't necessarily feeling equipped to do that with community, for example, and learned a lot by stumbling through that process in terms of working with a network. And and others are doing that. But yeah, you, you got to switch the order of operations 
by the time you were sort of in charge of both the creative and the executive parts of the process. That's a clever way of doing it, Eileen. <laughs> it, it was it was unintentional. It was accidental. But it's true. It didn't come as a shock to me when I suddenly had to do all these things that have relatively little to do with writing, but everything to do with protecting and executing my vision as a writer. Would you do it the same way again if you could do it over again? Yes, but I'd do it much faster. (laughs) Good answer. We also saw the exciting headlines just recently that you got a new pilot picked up by Fox. Can you tell us about that new show? Yes, um, that is what's next for me, and I'm I'm excited about it. As per usual, I had a story I wanted to tell that was, I mean, well, I, I hope not too many people hear me say this, but it's a feminist screed. We are going to shout that a... from the rooftops. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to tell, you know, a story on broadcast television about about inequity, about gender and the the differences in the way that we're heard and received in the world. So it's about an FBI agent, a woman who was a badass. <laughs> you know, she has always done everything right until she's chosen for a special project and she winds up to her utter shock and ultimate dismay, having an affair with the national security advisor, a man whom she reveres and who is very like her in his worldview. But of course, the affair is exposed. There may be some conspiratorial reason why it's exposed and her life is shattered. (laughs) Yes, exactly. That sounds awesome. Um, Yeah, it sounds really good. I look forward to watching that. I will totally watch that new show from Eileen Chaikin. I am so excited for The L Word to come back later this year. Yes, please. More TV from her. That Fox pilot that Eileen is working on does not yet have a name, but yes, all Eileen all the time. So, Trisha, you are literally a boss. I mean, kind of, sort of, yeah. Like, you supervise how many? Seven people, right? Eight. Eight. Yeah, I mean, that's literally what a boss does, I believe. I believe so. I would say you're a boss, too, though. That's funny. You're kind because... of my boss. <laughs> You're like my life boss. I supervise the work of others. You supervise the life of me. Oh, that's hilarious. That is how this co-host relationship works for anyone who's wondering. When was it recently when you texted me at a very low point and I was like, have you eaten? Do you need to go to sleep? Should we talk about this in the morning? I mean, it's been a while, but that often is a you know, role of co-hostitude. Yeah. yeah. It's friendship. Yeah. <laughs> So did you learn any, like, good boss lady skills from Eileen during that conversation? I really love the idea of understanding that listening to your gut actually means listening to other people. Yeah, that's really nice. Yeah, that was really inspiring for me. Well, and I think even not in a leadership position, but just, like, in your life to be able to gauge where other people are at and, like, trust your instincts in that I think is super important. And actually, that's going to lead us directly into Eileen Chaikin's homework in just a minute. Very well done.
On Nerdette, because nerds, homework is one of our favorite things, which means we love to ask our guests to give all of us homework, something to read or do or watch or consider. So here is our homework from Eileen Shaken. I want to know who hasn't seen herself, and I, I'll just make it gender, who hasn't seen herself represented on television and what would she like to see and say? Excellent question. Eileen Jagan, thank you so much for joining us on Nerdette. Thank you. It was a pleasure and a privilege. I love this question it's from Eileen. fascinating and provocative for sure. It's a good one for all of us to think about. And again, if you're wondering where are the stories about people like you and your friends, if you're wondering how you can help be a more inclusive storyteller, answer this question. Tell us at Nerdette Podcast on Twitter or on Facebook where Nerd App Podcast. We will loop in Eileen so she can see your responses too. She's at Eileen Chaikin on Twitter as well. This show is produced by us, Trisha Bobita and Greta Johnson, along with Justin Bolt. Our executive producer is Brendan Banasek. Our intern is Stefania Gomez. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, follow us on NPR One, or listen in the WBEZ app. It is also super helpful if you leave us some stars on Apple Podcasts thanks to Hardy Family for the review. The whole fam family. Yeah, the whole fam family. The Hardy Family. Yep, the Hardy. Hello, Hardy Family. Do you remember Hardy Heart? Was that a thing you had to watch in elementary school? No, I know nothing of what you speak of. It was a lot about sodium, I think. Oh, no. Well, you know. <laughs> having a healthy heart or whatever. Oh, hearty heart. Yeah. Do you remember hearty heart? No. Oh, damn. I was so excited. <laughs> you can also find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook. We are at Nerd App Podcast. And we have a newsletter. We do. There's going to be a lot of good stuff in it this week. We will have a link to that higher ed story that Trisha mentioned about diversity and inclusion. We will also have a link to the Recode Decode episode with Kara Swisher that Eileen Shaken did. And... We will also pose again to you this question about, you know, if you haven't seen yourself represented on TV, what would you like to see and say? You can respond to our newsletter email and let us know. Sign up for the newsletter at wbez.org slash nerdette. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear. Do your homework. Do your homework. Do your homework. It became a little song. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.